the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have an amazingly full show. We're taking a slight departure away from our traditional politics segment, but believe you me, we still get it in. We have six guests coming through the school tonight. That's right, six of them, y'all. We're going to be celebrating and putting a spotlight on filmmaker Jordan Peele. His latest project out there in theaters right now is called Nope. N-O-P-E. What in the world does that mean? But Nope is enjoying its second week at the box office. It debuted number one when it was released and people are still talking about it and we're going to break it all down. Jordan Peele, former comedian, current comedian, I guess, but he's now built a trifecta of big box office movies right out the gate, but specializing in the genre of horror and now he's at his science fiction. So we're going to be breaking down Nope, we're going to be talking Jordan Peele, and we're going to have six guests coming through the school to talk to us about it. We're going to have Words on Flicks, Janine Coveney, she's going to be joining us out of Virginia. We're going to have Juliana J. Bolden, A. Sky Galloway out of California. Oh man, this is a rock star panel, y'all. We're also going to be having Lori Peacock and the good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller, and we're going to be having licensed clinical social worker, Miss Casey Phillips-Brown. Oh my God, have I left any out that is a jam-packed panel y'all all right and so uh, we're also going to be paying tribute to some losses that we've experienced recently including bassist Michael Henderson who we lost not too long ago we're also going to be talking a little bit about Mary Alice if we have time and wow over the weekend we lost both Nichelle Nichols Uhura of the original Star Trek series. She passed away this past weekend. And NBA legend, the King of the Rings, Mr. Bill Russell. So we have a lot to get to this evening. Juliana will actually be joining us in the second or latter portion of the show to help us with those tributes. You might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with a feature on Jordan Peele's Nope. After this. Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah.
Hey, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing what I would like to refer to as uh, a triumph in cinematography and film. Uh, Jordan Peele, ladies and gentlemen, has created a trifecta of work at this point that just absolutely bears mentioning and warrants a, uh, a lengthy discussion about what is really happening here. His latest film is entitled Nope. It came out in theaters in the United States on July 22nd, and it is absolutely tearing up the charts, if you will. It's been number one at the box office, and it is sure to be a continuing and a perpetual uh, big screen hit, just like his two preceding films, Us and his debut, Get Out. And I happened to see Nope, and I was just, I haven't even shared with this panel uh, my thoughts on it, but... It was an intriguing film. I'll just leave it there. There will be spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, so be well advised. Uh, I'm going to bring our panel in, and I, I'm just really excited that they're all here together. They haven't been together on the show before, but they've all been here before. So uh, I'm going to reintroduce them all. And uh, you know these two returning champs. I kind of introduced them together, but they deserve individual merit. This good sister is an educator, actress. Uh, she's a, a very funny individual. She's a good friend of mine from Southern California. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psych Out of Bump School, our good sister, Miss Lori Peacock. Lori, are you there? I am here, Roman. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming back, and thank you for not telling me nope. Also in the house, <laughs> we have our good brother. Y'all know this good brother. This is the good brother that's been one of the longest-standing hosts of Southern California's Poacher Hour of Power every Friday afternoon on KPFK 90.7 FM. It is one of the longest-running afternoon drive-time programs in Southern California. He's a former NFL player with the Atlanta Falcons, and he's a comedian. He's a writer. He's a director. He's a filmmaker. The good brother does it all. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back my good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Mr. Keller, are you in the house? Yeah, man. Good to be Bruh. back, Ron. Yes, sir. Always, always, always a pleasure. And I'm not going to forget our good sister out on the East Coast, but I'm swinging that way in just a sec. Uh, this good brother was here most recently. And uh, y'all know that, man, it's nothing but legends on this panel right here. This good brother has been an absolute beacon of light in the world of album credit notes. And I can't even say enough good things about this brother. It's always a blessing to have him here. So ladies and gentlemen, also help me welcome back to Psychotic Bum School, our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you back? Full of good to be here. I, I, I didn't think you were back. Welcome back, good brother. <laughs> and least but not last, this good sister used to be in Southern California with us, Scott, Lori, and Jeff, but now she's out on the other side of town. Ladies and gentlemen, she is one of the longest standing writers, formerly with Billboard magazine. She currently is the hostess of, oh, Words on Flicks. Uh, she's a film reviewer, a film fan, first and foremost, but she knows her stuff when it comes to that big screen and small screen as well. So ladies and gentlemen, also welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister out of Virginia. Janine Coveney. Janine, are you hey, back? I am back. Thanks for having me, Rome. I'm in good company, esteemed company, and I'm excited about our conversation today, so thank you. So am I. I'm going to actually start with you, if you don't mind, Janine. Uh, Jordan Peele is a, on a bit of a tear, and I can't even begin to articulate uh, what he's doing in the world of film right now. Can you lead off this conversation with us and just talk to us about what, why, why nope? What, what is, how did this film even come into existence? The title, 
Uh, what is going on with this film? Can you give us a general impression? And ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are going to spoil. So this is your final warning. Three, two, one. Wow. Oh. <laughs> well, you've given me a lot of buildup, but I have to say <laughs> that um, I don't have any inside knowledge on how Note came together. I just know that Jordan Peele has a really unique sensibility and he has really captivated a whole new audience because let's face it, in the realm of horror, thriller, uh, mystery type films, who has been the biggest audience for these type of movies has been African-Americans, but we weren't always represented in those movies. So I think what he's done is really, really clever. He has put a new spin on the genre that not only includes us as protagonists, but also includes our history, our sensibilities, our experience in America and successfully woven that into the fabric of what is contemporary horror today. Think about right. how groundbreaking Get Out was in terms right. of including the racial dynamics of what African-Americans are frightened of and what white people are frightened of, right? And just combining that into a story that really touched people at their heart. Yeah, so. exactly. But what is it? Thank you, Janine. And Lori, what is it about? He's doing sci-fi now. This is a sci-fi horror, and it's not a genre that African-American filmmakers are particularly renowned for. So before I go to Jeff and Scott, Lori, what was your take on Nope and uh, this trajectory that Jordan Peele is on? Lori, what are your thoughts? Well, I have enjoyed all three of his films, and I don't know if it's bold or if it's ignorant or what it is, but I think this man, it could be either one, right? <laughs> or delusional or whatever. But I mean, right. is he not a modern day black Hitchcock? Is he not, you wow. know, transforming a, a genre of film over and over again that, that's been neglect neglected by black people as far as in the making of it? Um, I. I, I, I mean, I don't want to say if it's right to say he's a black Hitchcock or he's just the next Hitchcock. I don't know. But I think what he's doing is spectacular and revolutionary and intriguing and powerful and so, so different. And it's drawing, like you said, all kinds of crowds and all kinds of people who would not normally want to go see these 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 films. Um, yeah. And, you know, nope, I didn't know anything about it when I went and see it. Nothing. I hadn't seen a trailer. All I knew was the title. Did, and, and my son had told me the reason for the title. And so I thought, OK, well, let's go check this out. And it, it was a trip. It was a trip. And I have my, my thoughts and my opinions on the movie. Um, but as far as, you know, his work and what he's done, and then, oh my gosh, cinematically, beautiful, beautiful. We looked up the mm -hmm. cinematographer for his, uh, for Nope. I mean, beautiful imagery, just gorgeous. And, and obviously that comes from Jordan's vision and, uh, you know, what he wanted to convey. And this, and there's, all kinds of symbolism, all kinds of messages, yeah, many, is. many important, important messages for today woven into right. the movie as well that, you know, can be a little bit subtle and sometimes hit you over the head. But uh, I really dug it and, I, and I'm really excited to see what he what he does next. And damn wow. it, I want to, you know, brush off, brush, get a new headshot and and a resume and try to be really? in his next movie because damn, they're fun. Yeah, they are. Uh, she said, Jeff and Scott, modern day Hitchcock. So remember the 80s, Jeff and Scott? We had Spike Lee, and then eventually we had John Singleton. May he rest in peace. Have we ever seen anything like this, Jeffrey Keller, before I go to Scott? 
What was your take on Nope? And did you have any expectations going into it? Um, not I don't really have expectations going into movies. I don't really like reading anything about movies before I go see them. Yeah. Um, I thought it was shot brilliantly. Um, I thought the script was okay. Okay. Um, the first act was really long mm. uh, to me. Um, and then the payoff at the end was okay. Really? It was, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was great. I thought it was, I thought it was good. Um, because mm. you're comparing it to Get Out, and, 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 which I thought was brilliant. Well, yeah. where, where do you go from there, right? Right, I- exactly. So mm. you set the bar that high. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree with Jeffrey. I didn't mean to jump in, but it was very slow moving in the beginning. I was like, okay. Okay, what's you know? It was just very, it was just very slow the build, um, and I think they go in order. Uh, for me, they go in order of likability, enjoyability from one, two, and three. I think Nope is good, but I think Get Out is better, and I think Us is better. I I agree with um with, with the brother here that the script there was a lot going on that didn't immediately click for me. If this movie was a complete enigma to me and um you know there was parts about it that i enjoyed but anyway we can get more into it yeah i really i'm i'm really curious now hey scott galloway what are your (laughs) thoughts we we got some writers on this one and you're a writer too scott what what was your take on what you saw with nope well you know i am the type of person that likes to just kind of immerse myself in the vibe and what's going on in a in a film especially something like this that really is for the theater you know it's not something really that i would suggest anybody you know watch on a laptop or a tv at home or something like that right uh and and i like i mean i was actually going to try to see it again last night in imax but i just had such a busy day that i didn't do it so i saw it opening day like most of us uh a week ago a little over a week ago and I, you know, I kind of like being uh, a little perplexed and not knowing every single thing that's going on yeah. uh, and, and that there's, there's going to be more payoffs to watching this again. And I would want to watch it again. I do agree that there were some parts in the very beginning that were long. And, um, but, you know, just like with uh, Tarantino movies and other things, I really kind of like just hanging out if the if the company is cool, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm here in this desert desert town in, in California with these brother and sister, literally, uh, you know, trying to get their business, you know, their horse, uh, Hollywood horse business off hey. the ground. And then there's strange, strange things afoot. Right. And, you know, you know, I don't want to, again, go too much into script and, and all that stuff, but I, I like the sense of, of not having, you know, solid footing. You know, it's like, oh, my God, what what is this? Where are we going with this? You know, especially with our people. You know, I love movies uh, with us that don't have to be so literal and so, um, you know, you understand it right away. And, and one of the things that I found, though, about a lot of other people in our audience is that if they don't get it, they don't like it. You know, a lot of the people that I saw complaining on social media about the film were complaining because, you know, they, you know, they, they what is this? I don't understand it. I, I, you know, it, right. it was long. It was crazy. It was, you know, I don't, I don't get it. What, what's up with the, with the chimp and, and, you know, oh, we've seen flying saucers before and I don't know, but you know, for me, 
movies are escapism and, and I have this this conversation with Janine all the time you know it's like I'll go and just get lost in the vibe of it and when the movie's over a couple of days later I could almost go back and see it again. well I, I got a, I got a confession I, I, I have a confession I, I've actually seen it more than once <laughs> this is KCWG the truth.com programs called psychotic bump school I'm DJ Rome that was a Scott Galloway we're also joined by Lori Peacock Janine Colby out there in Virginia and our good brother mr. Jeffrey Keller we're breaking down nope nope is the latest film by Jordan Peele he is uh, just rounding third and heading home on this trifecta of amazing movies starting with get out us and now nope and we're talking about nope and Scott, uh, I'm gonna open it up to everybody now. Everybody turn their mics on if they're not on already, because I want y'all to just talk to each other about uh, what you saw on the screen. We're, we're, we're about to spoil for real now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So get ready, because we got some hot minds here, some talented folks here who are about to break it down. Because Scott, one thing that you said about not really caring about knowing everything and figuring it out, it's not like a Marvel's movie where you, you just, everything's kind of figured out for you. And Jordan Peele's films kind of personify water cooler talk. You're going to be talking about this film after you walk out of that theater. That's just what it is. So Jeff and Janine, the two of you primarily were talking about problems with the script. Uh, either one of y'all can start it off. What, what was the issue about the formation and the pacing of the storyline? And you talk about the payoff. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, we got a few minutes in this segment, but what, what were y'all talking about? I'm not a filmmaker or critic. What are y'all talking about? Well, Jeff, since you brought it up first, I'll let you go first. Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we just this, 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 this my... around here. Yeah, go ahead, we, brother. We all see things through different lenses. Mm -hmm. If you're a director, you see it from a director's lens. Exactly. If you're an actor, you see it through an actor's lens. And if you're a writer, you see it through a writer's lens. Okay. And so, so the pacing of the movie for me was slow. Mm. The, the first act seemed like it went on forever for me. Okay. Okay, mm -hmm. I, and I get the historical, I get he's trying to develop the characters, I get he's trying to get the character arcs, I get he's trying to introduce characters. I, I get all that. I understand that. Okay. But for me, a lot of it, it took a while to get there. Yeah. So when I got to the <laughs> I've had some dates like that. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but the way you said it, I just had to go there. Sorry. You can edit that out. No, 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 no. It's like a little comic relief there. But so, Janine so and Lori, if, I, if I invest that much time in a movie, it's like when I do stand up. If I tell a long story and the punchline's not there, then the crowd is like, and eh, the payoff wasn't there. Boom. That's how it was for me. It took me through the journey and I felt the payoff wasn't there it was okay but it wasn't a great payoff so the payoff janine and laurie and scott that jeff is talking about because the first segment i think was about ghost the horse named ghost right wasn't that the chap the first chapter and each story kind of broke down each horse go ahead janine yeah but it you know okay so the title is completely vague right nope right. we don't know what they're saying we know what nope means but we don't know what it means in the context of this movie so the previews were interesting, you know, intriguing. We don't have a clue as to what the film is really about, but we know it's Jordan Peele, so we know it's going to get freaky, right? So, <laughs> yeah. but I don't feel like I got a lot more clarity as I was watching. Like, I'm trying to piece together what the film is really about and, and what the logic of this, the logic of the plot, what it's operating by, 
I'm trying to follow. It's, is it about the relationship between the sister and brother? Is it about the horses? It wasn't even clear to me that the horses were being dis mm -hmm. were disappearing. Like they were going and it wasn't clear to me whether they were coming back or not. Like I couldn't really get that. And then I think I love Daniel Kaluuya as, a, as an actor, but yeah. he's so laconic and internal and just slow to react. Like he, to me, is the main character. I want to see a window into his thoughts. And I'm not sure I really got that. He was saying things were so, and I just had to go with it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't clear to me about how he's equating horse training with this thing in the sky. Like, I'm like, what the heck well, is going on? Yeah, yes. And my 17 year old son helped me see the light. Okay. Cause I saw it with him and we talked about it and he was texting me at midnight last night. Oh, and what about this? And what about that? I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. But um, he's like, but I know you're going to talk about it tomorrow. So I, uh, you know, it was the animal thing. I think I think there were two there are two major things that, that I picked up and I didn't Google this or anything. He he did some Googling, but the animal thing, like you know, right. the the chimp and right. then that this alien was really like an animal, and then the horses, breaking the horses, training the horses, but no matter what, they're just still animals and they're still primal and they still can snap on you. And I think that's why they kept going back to the chimp. And then he was trying to show that you can sort of tame these animals. And he, and he was able to tame the, right. the alien in a way, in a certain way. But then the other piece of it was, um, we'll do anything for money. We'll do anything for fame. We'll do anything for notoriety. Right. And I think that that, that, um, that, that uh, TMZ... TMZ writer, uh, motorcycle writer. Mm. All mm -hmm. he cared about was getting that shot. He was dying. Yeah. He was broken into pieces, dying. And he was like, "Did you get the shot? Did you get the shot?" And he's as he's going up into being eaten by an alien. Did you get the shot? You know, it's it's like I feel like those were the two, that for me the two major themes were the the animal and and the, you know the primeval part of that and can it be tamed or can't it. And then, and then what will we all do for our 15 minutes of fame and, and, and how important is that to us? Yeah, but you know, Lori, that's so true. I had to sit and think about it afterwards. You know what yes. I mean? Like, I'm like, what, because in the moment of watching it, I, I wasn't getting that. Like, even as I'm looking at the movie, and which was beautifully shot, as you, as you noted, Lori, it was gorgeous. The performances were really, I love Steven Yoon and, and Kiki Palmer was the truth. But in the moment, I'm looking at the screen like, what am I looking at? Yeah. Where am I supposed to focus my attention? And I missed things. And, and it could be that I don't have the greatest vision. I mean, in real life, like I don't have good eyes, well, but I'm like, where am I supposed to be looking at exactly. what's going on? Exactly. To be fair, I, I yeah, in your defense, Janine, because, you know, Scott alluded to, you know, wanting to see it again. You can't get all of that in in one take, in one sitting. It, it was just too much to take in and too much to uh, think about. There was a lot of things to consider and the symbolism that he just throws into his films. You have to know a lot about pop culture in this country to understand the chimp reference. And there were some things that came to mind even before I Googled them. But Scott, the last time when, uh, Jeff, you weren't a part of that conversation, but I had Janine and uh, another guest that might be joining us, Juliana, we talked about us and Scott, you remember how you felt about the male character in us, how he was kind of kind of weak compared to Lupita Nyong'o and she was doing all the fighting and she was doing all the squabbling, dobbling down all the way to the ground, to its final compound. Right. And the guy was kind of like weak. What did you, because 
Janine just described Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ, as kind of, oh, by the way, OJ is the name, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's a whole little catchphrase in itself, right? But what did you think? She described him as laconic. Now, I'm not that smart. I don't know what laconic means, but I think I know what she means. <laughs> what did you think about the lead character, Daniel Kaluuya's role and his uh, dominance in this film? Uh, Jeff, I'm going to come to you with that one in a sec, too. Yeah, his his uh, story and and his presence was very internal, you know, as kind of the, another old school Hollywood type of thing, the the strong silent type, you know, you're trying to read him, uh, you know, what is he thinking, what is he doing? He's, you know, he's kind of got his own rhythm and and his own vibe going on. But you know, I you know I don't think that he was one of my my favorite characters in this picture, even though he's the the lead. I mm. thought that uh, that Kiki. Palmer's character was, of course, a lot more uh, engaging. You know, she was very forthcoming and, and had a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, hey, you know, let's go do whatever. You know, she was she was down, you know, like like Janine said, she was the truth. And and and, and Kalua's character, you know, he's like, you know, he's he's like over it. When we meet him in the movie, he's over <laughs> totally like over yes. what he's doing for a living. He's like, you know, how, you know. But he also has this traditional sense of like, well, this is the family business and and that sort of thing. So you see this world weary brother, you know, who, you know, kind of too young to yeah. be world weary. Yeah. And so he's just kind of had this the family business heaped upon him. And, and then these other things are going on. But, you know, I, I felt like, you know, for him and his character and the story part uh, of it all is that a lot of people are, are we have become as a society so into watching things and documenting things and all that. And, and you have to reflect back, this is extraterrestrial life. We don't know what these aliens want. They could be trying to, you know, they're sucking up stuff out of the earth and, you know, people <laughs> yep. and, and all this stuff. And that's dangerous. That's, you know, that's like, what the hell? But, you know, again, the TMZ guy and even, you know, Kiki's character, everybody's about let's, document this and they're not thinking about how can we stop it how can we save the world how can we do this that, and the other they're thinking more about capturing moments and you know like laurie said you know 15 minutes of fame and uh, and some money and and so we've kind of lost sight of of things and i think that daniel's character was kind of you know like a, a lot of a few other people in the world that are just quietly you know trying to hold on to some semblance of Oh, absolutely. Humanity, while so many other people in the world have just lost it and they've gone well, down this other very surfacey path. That, that's kind of what I felt the character and the storyline uh, was about. You know, after a couple of cocktails and some whatever, <laughs> that's kind of what my friend and I came up with after we saw this thing. Man, that, that's fascinating because it, it that's what it takes to kind of dissect all of this. And Lori, the fact that your son had such a take going into it, it's like people wonder, okay, what does note mean? And then Jeffrey, mm -hmm. Keller, Jeffrey Keller, I mean, Daniel, OJ, he did watch his father get killed. I mean, Janine, I... I, I, I and we I, did, but we didn't from, see any but, emotion. I felt like it was, I know. wanted to see a little bit more emotion from him, even though we knew his character was very stoic. There were moments where we could have seen glimpses of humanity, like fear, you know, terror, yeah. uh, love. And it was all very one-dimensional on his part. I wasn't crazy. Uh, well, let I, me, let me, let me, let me, let me. Daniel was an introvert. There you go. He kept everything in. His his dog. Now you guys don't get me going. 
His sister was an extrovert. Daniel was an old soul. Okay. His 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 his, his sister was new I school. Like that. Document everything. That's that's what's the opposite of the two. Daniel showed the love of his father by keeping the coin that his father dropped and putting it in his room to remind him of his father. Okay. Okay. And let's not right. forget the DP that was that's that's all into finding rare things. And so when he found out that he could find an extra, he says, hey, now let me come in and get this shot. Everybody mm -hmm. in the movie had a passion and that's what they went for. Oh, that's what drove them was their passion. This is Angel on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. Best internet radio on the planet. Things. Me and the Jam On production crew here are taking over this world. So we want all of you ding-daggers to back up your hips and your hocks, get on your high horses, and vamoose! business but here he is um you know auditioning for a commercial and just being totally opaque and like not really engaged with people he yes he's an introvert like he he yes. helped set the bad tone for i know mm. the horse spooked you know but he but he thought his sister would help him she was the, she's the sister extrovert. Was the the right. sister is the one. That's yeah, what that's he wanted. Thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's not his. He was and more was of the, late the foundation. Yes. And, and, and it was the horse that was auditioning, not him. And his sister was supposed to be there to, to, to do the presentation that yes. she did when she did come in late. Okay. Yes. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't an good. audition? Or was no, no, it wasn't an audition. It was actually. They were hired. That's what they got fired. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, that new voice, we, we got a mental health challenge. <laughs> She's just jumping into the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we, we have uh, an eclectic panel here. Uh, this is a mental health podcast as well. And so to help me with that portion of it, we're proud to welcome back our good sister, uh, licensed clinical social worker, Casey Phillips-Brown. Miss Brown, hey. how are you doing? Hey, I'm so sorry. I was actually involved in a detailed discussion about this movie, and I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be talking about this movie right now. You're supposed to be talking um, about this movie right now. So go yes. ahead. You already jumped your two cents in. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I loved it, and I'm really sad that I missed what you all were talking about because uh, I, I want any additional information I can get. I want. I saw. Are we just giving our opinions? What we uh, we're talking about? Well, we're talking about the characters now. Uh, oh. uh, Janine and Jeff were talking about the, the story pacing. Scott brought in some things regarding this is a uh, Kiki Palmer was actually sort of a more of a standout character. And we were focusing specifically on Daniel Kaluuya and how yes. stoic he was and sort of unresponsive and uh, almost just lethargic throughout the movie and Jeff broke down that he was just more of an introvert the complete opposite of his sister and his reaction to really catastrophic catastrophic events in the film uh, was a bit of a screen test for people that were watching it and were perhaps expecting something a little bit more tangible and he didn't give yeah. away a lot he he had he was poker face right mm -hmm. yeah yeah well well, what I saw as I was, it's interesting. I watched it, got my opinion, and then, of course, I went and researched it later, and I saw some people were on the same page as I was. What I got from Daniel's character is that he he was a very, he was a symbol of racism in this country. Really? The way he, the way he would um, avert his eyes, it kept reminding me how you're not supposed to look white people in the eye, right? Back back then, you had to look Ooh. down. And the whole idea in this movie was that you you're, the danger comes when you um, look them in the eye. And so at oh. one point when he's in the car and he'll be like, nope. And he looked down, I was like, oh, it just hit me in my seat. Like, you're not supposed to look up at them. We're not. And it's like, he had to end up fighting that because at the end, in order to make it and to survive, hey, I got to face it head on. I got to wow. break this chain, I have to break this. And as the, um, one of the things we've been talking about a lot in our home is the way the, 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 the monster, the formation of it, I was really intrigued. I'm a, a mass communication major is my, uh, my bachelor's exactly. is in mass media arts, radio, TV, film, right? So go. I'm watching from a clinical standpoint as a social worker, but also as a, a filmmaker. And I was looking at the, the way the monster was shaping. And at one point, I know y'all gonna think I'm reaching, but at one point I'm like, that is so looking like a KKK hood. And so wow. you see it, you see it start to go. And it's like, um, there were some other things I was researching. They were just talking about the colors of the flags and how, again, you had the, the white monster was um attacking oh things God. of color it was yeah people took a look really deeply but that's what i got from it before i did any race research i was noticing how he just wasn't comfortable in the presence of the white people um where kiki um or was it emerald she was very much like you said an extrovert she came in like hey her job there they were kind of a team right the yin and yang he was there to care about the animals and the horses and make sure they were good she came in to do the willing and the dealing and so when he was sitting there, he was very unprepared to do her part. And her being late just made him go in, you know, further into himself. But yeah, he was very uncomfortable with them. He wasn't giving the eye contact then. Good and Lord. And finally till the end, it was like, I have to face up to it. And then even them looking at each other, doing the thing with the eyes, like, I see you. I got you. Let's go. Well, so, see, I feel now, like see, Casey Phillips Brown, <laughs> she, she done added something to this now. Now, uh, that horse that she's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, she named they, they named him Lucky, 
in the film. It was by no coincidence, I'm sure it was a black horse. And one of the horses that really gave uh, OJ uh, the insight, Janine, because you were talking about we didn't get a lot of insight into his character very much because he didn't, he just didn't give you very much. But do you remember that dream sequence, Janine? You know, kind of piggybacking on what uh, Casey and everybody else is talking about. Remember that dream sequence when o senior OJ came to him in a dream? Do you remember yeah. that moment? Yeah, I do. What do you remember about that moment? Do you recall? I only saw the film once. Okay. Um, I know he was giving him advice. Exactly. So yeah. It, so I don't know. Okay. So Ghost was the first horse, right? So he was talking about, oh, look at Ghost over there being all territorial because Ghost was apparently starting fights with other horses. And he was saying to uh, OJ Jr. while he was milking the cow, whatever he was doing, he was like, look at Ghost over there acting like he's all dominant and running things. And then OJ Jr. woke up suddenly. I was like, oh, okay. So there's going to be a payoff for that later on. And the implication was that, kind of like what Casey was saying, you know, just having that appreciation for the individual personalities of the animals and the fact that Daniel Kaluuya's character was so intertwined with the horses. I mean, if he spoke to a horse, they would turn and stop and look at him. Did you guys catch that? And so I was fascinated by the psychological piece between uh, OJ and the horses. But the racism piece and Ghost being a white horse, it's, it, <laughs> you know, exercising his dominance and, you know, claiming his territory. You know what I'm saying? I, I just never thought of it that way, Casey. Me either. And I love this conversation because this is really helping me wrap my mind around it. And let, let me be clear, just because I felt like I was looking at something I didn't totally get. Right. didn't mean that I didn't appreciate the artistry that went yes. into it. Yes. I, I yes. mean, I, this, as Scott says, you know, he likes to experience the movie. Just because I didn't get it at first doesn't mean it's not a, a, a good, great example of filmmaking. And I just need to try to wrap my mind around this a little bit more. And you guys are helping me. I think that's a sign of, thank you, Janine, because Scott, I think she's right. I think the fact, the, the, the point that you brought up earlier, I think that's a sign of trust that if you can let go and just let the filmmaker just kind of guide you and you don't have to have everything figured out, that is a, emblematic of how uh, in-depth of a filmmaker this guy is, where you can trust the process and not really be so outcome-oriented. And if you don't figure everything out, you know, each step of the way, it's okay. Just go along for the ride, right? Well, what, well, what I'm saying is that, you know, the movie, you know, you don't like, I just think that some audiences have become accustomed to being spoon fed things. And, and Hollywood has been really bad about this, about making sure that endings are cool. I mean, they have whole testing, you know, things and everything. And if, an, if they get a, an idea that the audience doesn't like the film or they don't understand it or they don't get the ending or the ending doesn't please them, then they will actually change it and stuff. But I'm saying that the really best movies are the movies that you do have to see more than once movies yes. that you do interact with your friends or even a stranger like did you just see that what the hell did that mean let's go have a beer and talk about it. you know because you you know you have been engaged but you have not been handed you know the whole movie on a platter so that you understand it and go home and rest your head on the pillow no, it's like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that will keep you up at night, that will have your son calling you at midnight, and did you get this part? That's a great movie to me. Yeah. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah, go ahead. Because Was there any scene that stood out for any, any of you? Well, so I, again, I want to just piggyback on that, having to watch it more than once, and that's not yeah. a bad thing. Uh, right. Get Out 
you got it, it was there. And you probably, you watch it again just because it was such a good movie. I mean, it was a little gory, but it was a good movie. Us, right. I had to, I watched it, enjoyed it, saw it twice, but had to do a lot of research to get it. And I wasn't mad at that. I'm, I, I, I like that, you know, that part of uh, life, looking up research and doing that kind of thing. This one, mm. I watched it, enjoyed it. And I was just like, I know I'm going to love getting the little Easter eggs that were, uh, you know, left behind in this and hearing other people's opinions. And I feel when it comes to trust, you want to trust a filmmaker that they're going to lead you in a good direction. Like, I, right. I was like, he's not going to do his dirty. We're not going to get something where the black people end up just jacked. Right. Yeah. We're going to have something where we're going to be able to feel good about herself. And so I, 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 I'm not I'm tired of being walking out of movie theater, feeling traumatized and hurt. And I knew I wasn't going to get that uh -huh. with him. Now, I knew so. I wasn't going to maybe understand it because I already experienced us. And I was cool with that. But I love how he, like you said, doesn't spoon feed us. And we got to come back a little bit. And I'm going to see it two or three more times. I think you should so yeah. I can catch different things. I'm right now. I'm dry, so we just drove through the mountain. I'm heading up north. I know you California. and Scott's, Scott's <laughs> in a car, too. So I know you're <laughs> Right. So, so we're right. driving through the mountains where they shot the film. Where like they shot the like film, that same yeah. Area, right? And I'm looking at like, do I see a do I see a cloud that's not moving? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was wondering, and I don't know if you guys can help me with this, but was the monster the cloud also? Ooh. Was the monster the cloud and then changed shape? Because that's what I was trying to figure out. Because they said it wasn't moving. Was it just hovering and waiting and feeding? Because it had been there six months, and that's when the dad had died when he had you know did you know spit all the stuff out, and so um. I was just wondering that I, I, was doing some, I was doing some other research and somebody was saying that basically it was all about the spectacle and that the chimpanzee was a spectacle in the show, right? He's being used in this, in this uh, pilot or in this uh, TV show, not treated like, you know, that in a humane way and it turns on him, right? It's if something mm -hmm. happens, spooks him and it's like, you're not respecting nature or this, the spectacle. So Jupe who survives it, right? He's a young boy who survives. And now, He's got the monster and he's making a circus act out of the monster. He's exactly. not respecting it. And look what happened to him. And so uh, the idea of you have to respect. And so you got yeah. OJ, who is very respectful yes. of the animals. And he's like, hey, y'all stand back. Be careful. Yes. Where the, the cast and crew was like, ah. So I love that idea, too, that we're taught to respect something that we think is less than Please. us. That's very important. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychiatry Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Uh, we're talking about Nope, y'all. Uh, we're having a very impassioned conversation with our panelists. That was a uh, licensed clinical social worker, Casey Phillips Brown, out of Southern California and Northern California as well. She's all over the place. We have our good sister, Janine Coveney. She's out in Virginia. We're also on the line with the incomparable A. Scott Galloway, Lori Peacock, and Jeffrey Keller, all in Southern California. This is an all star rock star panel right here. But uh, Lori and Jeff and Scott, um, see, the time spent working with people. I mean, all of us are in a people-oriented industry, right, Janine and Casey? This is a people-oriented thing, no matter what our individual disciplines are. But there is something about respecting nature and the power that it holds. Y'all remember, Jeff, remember when Chris Rock was on stage and he was making a joke about the tiger that attacked that person that was teasing him at the zoo? He said, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. And so, like Casey was saying, Jupiter, Jupiter didn't respect the power that this alien could, could weed or to wield. And so OJ being able to be someone that could connect with animals on such a level where he would respect their boundaries. He said, you can't tame a predator. You have to come into an agreement with one. I found that fascinating to understand people's individual 
motivations. And he was able to do it in a way in which it really spoke through his character. Anybody pick up on that aspect of it, just respecting boundaries and respecting people's nature so that you, you know that the storm can really get you if you're not careful. You better put that umbrella up and respect this. Anybody else get that take? Well, when I was taking notes on the film and people saying, oh, it's a horror film. I don't, like I went by myself in the morning because I couldn't get anybody went to by yourself. With Did you get yeah, scared? I, went, I, I was a little trepidatious because um, I had the idea that it was going to be a horror movie. And that is yeah. not my genre. Right. But it's not a horror movie, per se. It, it's, it's sort of a mix of different genres. Yes. But one of the one of the things that I wrote in my notes is that it is a cautionary tale about man's failed attempts to tame the untamable. That's right. Right. So the fact that the chimp went nuts and went you know chimp went chimp. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> went chimp. And this alien thing is only you know they can only um control it and attempt to destroy it once they understand its nature it cannot change and can i just add like again i'm not a horror movie fan so okay. the most horrible thing about going to see this movie is sitting through all the previews of the other horror movies well starts, right? i'm exactly. seeing bludgeonings and devil worship yes. and slash yes. oh that's horrible and then in the movie the screaming of the people yes. as oh. they're going down the gullet of yes. this thing i just I just found that to be um, the stuff of nightmares. It still makes my yes. stomach kind of twirl around. But I am grateful that the movie did not have more, um, yeah. you know, like body jump scares or anything like, yeah, jump scares, things like that. Well, yeah. see, I think yeah. some of the more masterful yeah. filmmakers. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. That's why I said it, it, it wasn't that kind of horror. It wasn't a horror movie really at all. It's just it was suspenseful. A, a, thriller. a thriller, maybe, yeah. or suspenseful. In a Western piece. <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. it didn't have gore and stuff like that. that but he did it. But it was kind of a Western, black too, black right? Yeah, exactly. But did, have we ever seen this? No. Yes. I, have we ever seen that before? Seen what? Well, he, Scott is saying that. It, it was a thriller, it, you know, it wasn't that kind of horror movie, but it was also, you know, based in, in a sort of a Western format, you know, with, with the, you know, they were animal wranglers. And so that's not a common trope in filmmaking when you want to mix Westerns with a different kind of uh, thematic element. Westerns the other aspect to remember about Jordan is that, you know, not only has he done these three movies, but he, you know, uh, was helming twilight zone on television for the last couple of seasons and so and twilight zone would do those kind of things where they would you know mix genres together and um you know just because you know they had to you know it's like you know they had to do all these episodes per season so you know they would kind of do things like that to to, to break it up you know take a family sitcom type thing and then do something crazy with it or do something mysterious and ominous in a western vibe so i think that that might have had you know some of this might have had something to do with him and and the kinds of stories he was thinking about uh when he was helming the, the twilight zone tv absolutely yeah, he, yeah. he was also one of the executive producers on lovecraft country i'm not sure if you all are aware of that yeah. mm -hmm. he wasn't a writer and right so you had that touching upon so many genres in that one season and that's part of the discussion i was just having for a hot back on the zoom is 
that I was recommending that it wasn't necessarily a horror film. I saw it as a family film, to be honest. And what we go through, I, that whole idea, I was raised as uh, my father taught my brother and I, we were not allowed to fight. All you got in this world is your brother. My, your mom's gone, I'm gone, that's all you got. And okay. in this movie, we see, we don't know, there was, there was closeness to, with them because when he was the one chosen to uh, train her horse, he did right. give her a little eye signal, like, hey, I got you. But right. it seemed as if once the dad passed, there was a lot of just hurt, whether, you know, OJ was still trying, he was still grieving, but he was really getting sick of her. You're late, her attitude, she's not making the family a priority. And yeah. you saw a brother and a sister throughout their grief. And because of whatever the, the goal was, right, if hers was just to become famous or just if his was just to save the uh, ranch, they came together. So I, I highly recommend it as a family movie because again, I'm scary. My eyes were closed. I was the one, you know, when they, I was like, nope, nope, like had my eyes closed. But I realized, okay, it's not, it was more of a thriller, like we all said. It was just some tension. It wasn't really a horror movie. If I got out of it, that's a family film that people need to see. We, we, hey, we all we got. CMB, we all we got. <laughs> we all we got. Now, uh, I gotta, I gotta throw too. this out there and I'm I'm afraid. Okay, I'm afraid to put this out there, but I gotta do it. Okay. I did not love the casting of the sister in the role. I don't know what it was. I, I don't know what it was or whether it was her makeup. I felt like she looked too good throughout the whole thing. I don't know what it was, but I didn't love what has she done other stuff? I'm I'm sorry, I don't know, but child star. Yeah, yeah. Akilah and the Bee. Is she? Akeelah is she? Is she? Oh, Akilah and the Bee. That's right. Yeah. I just yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't Bee, like. What her was that role. show? She, well, she did played a, the vice um, president. The, oh, she played the. Oh, I got to look that up. She was also. Uh, she played the little girl in one of Medea's movies when he was spanking her in the back seat. Wasn't that her? <laughs> so she's yeah, a child. She's a, okay. Wasn't she the, youngest, the one popping the gun? Youngest talk show. That's true. Good Morning America. Is it? With my yeah, no, she had, yeah, she had her own talk show. Talk show. So I understand the casting. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, she was the one character that I didn't believe. I believed all the other characters, but I didn't believe her. Wow. What, why, why do you think that was though? Because of she was made up too nicely, neatly? I don't know. I don't know. I was, I was trying to figure it out. I don't know if it was because they were trying to make her like hard and lesbian and maybe she's not hard and lesbian or I don't know what it was but it just didn't and then too I think she did look her hair was beautiful her makeup was beautiful everything about her was so beautiful and they're yet they're getting rained on with blood you know and I just I felt like what you asked about the scene the scene that's memorable to me that was the scene when when the house was sitting there oh, silhouetted yeah. and and being drenched in in blood oh, I yeah. thought that was that was the moment for me that I was like that. And it very much reminded me of Psycho, the house on the hill. Yeah, it was yeah. very, oh, very but anyways, that's my thing. So, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be a popular opinion, but no, I don't no, know no. If anybody I mean, else online has said anything about her and the role. But I, my favorite cat, I thought, I thought that, that Angel was a, was brilliant in that part. Oh, wasn't he? Yeah. He was yeah. perfect for that role. Everything about that character I really enjoyed. Um, I felt like, and he was the one, the one who, with the voice of reason saying, we are doing this for humanity, right? Like the biggest douchebag on, of, of all of them, you would think, <laughs> is the one that's like, we, we're not just doing this for personal gain. We are doing this to help others, right? But they never addressed that. That that, that went away. Yeah. yeah, it did. Well, and Can someone okay, explain this... to me why the the um, cinematographer decided to sacrifice himself? Well, I was. it's funny you should bring that up because I was just about to pivot to him. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Juliana Bowden that's just joined the discussion. She is a, a film 
uh, an entertainment expert in her own right. She's an MC, singer, songwriter. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome back Miss Juliana Bowden. Miss Bowden, how you doing? I am doing just lovely because this review is smoking and I can't wait to see the film. All of the points that you guys are bringing up <laughs> are making me want now I, I, I have so many questions that need to be answered tonight and I can't we, we spoiling. Wait. Yeah, I know we spoiling. You don't care about being spoiled? I don't even watch no. trailers. I don't like being spoiled at all. Wow. But see, you're just in time because Look, I, I need for you guys to understand. If you guys haven't wrapped this up, don't nobody hold back nothing. Don't I don't care about no dang spoilers and stuff like that. If I did, I wouldn't have dialed in. I would have texted well, and been like, if y'all finished talking about that, the only thing that I don't want spoiled are like sporting NBA. events and stuff in NBA games. That's why I watch them in real time. Y'all do your thing and I'm gonna lay back okay, and well, my text. go ahead. I'm glad you're here for the sport because we're going to talk about sports in just a second. But Janine, you just brought up something. That cinematographer played by Michael Wincott, I found him to be a very, um, I don't want, he had a very cryptic uh, presence on the screen. Janine, what were your thoughts about him, Michael Wincott's role as the cinematographer? Well, he certainly had the voice of God. Let's I love that voice. Start there. That voice was so compelling. And just, you know, he, he seems like one of those uh, Hollywood types who's, you know, always looking for something different. As Jeffrey pointed out, everybody had a passion and his was capturing the unusual, the rare, you know, the unseen on film. So I could see why he would be convinced to be part of it. But again, like I, I might need to see it again. I did not fully understand why he sacrificed himself yeah. in that moment I, it was not clear to me i yeah. think that's not to get the I, shot that I, I nobody would ever get or, uh, or, right it's it's a, a shot that nobody for like the pure auteur person you know uh who wanted to capture it for for the real reasons as opposed to the commercial reason absolutely okay. Okay. It's, yeah it, yeah, it goes. It's, it's like the movie Whiplash at the end when he wants to get revenge. When J.K. Oh wow, revenge at the end, right? And then all of a sudden he sees his greatness and he forgets his revenge. He goes, "No, no, let's do this," because wow. when people have a passion, they will give up anything to get what they need to get. Whoa. And if he's yeah. got to give up his life to get that shot. He's going to give up his life to give that shit. And he was that. going for that ungettable get. But he also was a deplorable kind of person. He he just didn't have, I mean, it wasn't like he had any redeeming personality qualities. So it was kind of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of an asshole. I'm going to get this going and make this happen. But, you know, I'm going to die doing it. It's yeah. Going to be my did, he, did he have a catch the cap moment? I, I, I don't save the cap moment. Did he? Yeah, um, he did. I don't I can't have to see it again for that. Because usually for a character like they have a save the cat moment. Well, but the, the Janine said he had the voice of God, or one of them said he had the voice of God. He reminded me of like a Rod Serling feature where, what was that guy's name? He passed away, but he was always back in the day when a horror film was coming out. Remember, Janine, you were seeing, talking about all those previews at the start of this film. But the guy's voice who would always do the voiceover for all the horror movies that you would see on television commercials. Vincent Price? Vincent Price? Yeah, I was thinking. I wasn't, it wasn't Vincent Price, but it was someone else. But he had a voice, Michael Winkai had a voice like that. And it, it kind of was a little, honestly, annoying to me because it didn't seem like- A little annoying for me too. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like- It reminded like, me yeah, of Sam like, Elliott in a way. Well, speaking yeah. of the passion part, you guys, something just hit me too. I have always had an issue because to me, things are never that serious. If I could get away and live 
and be rich. I'm gonna be, I'm going to do that. And I always think about uh, the scene in Heat when Robert De Niro is free, he's good, he can just go. And it was a, it was the principality, Smokey. It was, no, <laughs> how you, you did me dirty, I gotta come back and get you. So it was a different reason, but sometimes things, there's, there, we got a line. And yeah. you, sometimes you can't cross that line. And if you cross it, I'm going to go back and get my revenge or I'm going to make it right. The cinematographer, it was nobody in this world will ever get this shot of yep. being eaten right. by a creature. And life is, uh, what did he tell I can't think of the quote he told uh, Kiki, who, Laurie, I'm sorry, Kiki was magnificent. <laughs> she was magnificent. That's her personality anyway. But she just put her foot in that. He, he kind of like he made a comment about her, like if this is all you want, you know, you go chase your stuff. Whatever he said to her, it's kind of condescending. But for him, it had chase to be a your bigger dream. purpose. Chase your dream, right? You chase your dream. His he chased his dream. I'm gonna. I would sacrifice my life and be eaten by a creature so that I can yep. get a shot that no one in the world will ever get. And so yep. my only thought was, how did he know the film? We, were, we again, my whole family went to go see it. So teenagers, my husband and my brother-in-law, we're trying to figure it out. Um, in the car, did he know the film that the, the monster wouldn't digest the film? But I was wondering if the can would break. But I guess even if the can broke, the film would still just float to earth or something like that. Like he wouldn't destroy the film that would still live on. Well, right? I, yes, I, that, that's that was my question. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes. My, my uh, interpretation was that the thing was going to spit out the film. Like it spit out all the nickels and the keys and everything else. And he thought that. And so he figured it would be okay, that's deep. preserved. I, I didn't, I didn't, Scott, I mean, the late Scott and Jeff, did you pick up on that? I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I didn't pick up on that. The film real rolling out, you know, I mean, on, they didn't, the, the monster didn't keep any of that, you know, just, he only kept the people or whatever living things that he, that it absorbed, all that other stuff would, would get kicked out. So you, by whatever, um, I'm, the word is escaping me, but yeah, you would think that, you know, that's going to go out to everything. But it'll, be, it'll, it'll be damaged in the fall though, wouldn't it? it? Yeah, I, I hear you, but when not, not film the though, fall? the can would, but not the film. Cause film not is like, film? if you drop a feather, that's why I was trying to figure out, like, isn't it, if you drop some film, it would just float on down. Like, well, right? And that's, <laughs> and that's what that, yeah, that was, that's the, what that's the flaw, right? Like that's, that's could be considered the, like, how is he, how is this film that is going to be so magnificent, even going to get seen if he gets eaten up by the alien. But that was my first thought was, well, he'll just regurgitate, he'll just poop it out, okay. it, whatever it is. Wow. Yeah, wow. But they didn't show that. They didn't show it. So but they told him open. about it. They told him, Hey, this is what the monster does. So he knew like, okay. Right. But this I thought, what he, I, I I thought they it. might, yeah, I thought they might show the fit camera coming down, but they didn't. But then it didn't matter, right? Because she got well, something dropped from the well at the end. Yeah, well, something yeah, did drop next to Angel. Yeah, when Angel so. fell to the ground and he was wrapped up in that tarp, something fell down near him. Either It was either the film or a part of the camera itself. Did y'all catch that? Yeah. It's like a reel of film or something. Sorry, yeah. Correct. I got to see oh, it. Oh. Yeah. In my head, I have a feeling that I saw a, a reel of film. He made... Jordan made sure that we saw that that real film. Yes, yes, power to the people. If I got the power, you got the power. We got the power. That's power to the people. And right now, the power is right here. And you're listening to my man DJ Rome on the Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Be good.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's a very fascinating take. And one of the cryptic things that he said, uh, we better wrap this up before we let Scott go. But one of the cryptic things that he said earlier in the film when Kiki was trying to persuade him to take on the project was something about the impossible shot. Right. But he also said it's an impossible dream that you will probably never wake up from. And so it turns out that was a bit of foreshadowing, of course, because he sacrificed mm-hmm. his life. And given his social awkwardness, you know, he was kind of like OJ in that sense that he was, you know, there for the check, but he was also there for, uh, he had more of a purpose to his life. And I think uh, the spectacle of it all was not as important to him. And I think he wanted to do it for his own reasons, for its own sake. There's something to Can be- Can I make one more point? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Other thing I thought as I clapped at the end, I was the only one clapping like a fool at my family. My I believe you, too. You would be the one to do it, You're too. You're fangirling. You're fangirling. I'm like, I sure am. Um, I was wow. clapping. I felt like reparations. To me, it also represented reparations. Oh, my God. Where are you getting all this race stuff from in this film? Because, she, like she said, the first thing that you hear out of Kiki's mouth is, hey, my great, 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 you know, was one of the first movie stars. We didn't get nothing from that. And we were one of the main people to, you know, start this business. We got nothing from it. And I felt like mm. that was just likes, but that she would, they were like, we're going to make a name for our family. We're going to get back what was stolen from us. And so at the end, when I'm like, well, she had her picture, right? We didn't get the film. Well, I don't know. We didn't see, I didn't see the film fall, but I'm going to go ahead and check that out. But yeah. she, we had her film from the, her picture from the, we're going to get money back, we're gonna get our horses back, we're going to get our ranch back. Reparations. <laughs> well, uh, as, she, let me, as she goes uh, into the mountains that's, that's beyond Aguadol. Right. But I, I will say one thing we really didn't talk about in, in, in Daniel, him being an introvert, but he also was the guy who was the, who was the rock during the whole movie, figuring absolutely all this stuff out all the way to the end. I agree. When all the chaos was going on, he was the one guy that kept it together and was like, okay, this is what we got to do. And you know what? You're absolutely right. And that kind of speaks to what Casey's talking about in terms of family, because it was that relationship with his father that really gave him the insight about the alien's nature. It's like, that's a predator up there. That's an apex predator. You have to respect it. Just like Ghost out there making a fool out of himself and causing trouble for everybody else because he's claiming this whole horse stable as his. And so that's what he was giving OJ Jr. insight into. You got to respect nature. You can't go out there and just try to control it. You got to respect it. Wow. Well, my favorite, hey, my favorite line in the whole movie was "Run, OJ, run." That was it for me. Bruh, on the Bronco too. I was that. crying <laughs> on the Bronco. Him. And OJ is something that makes people uncomfortable because she's like OJ. Yeah, I you see the the white it, woman at the beginning. It. Yeah, the white yes. woman at the beginning. She said, "Your name is OJ." I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Here we go." Just be, because of Casey, I, I, I'm gonna just be ra- walking around talking about reparations. <laughs> you done so now you trying to make white people not go see. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna be black you know, going up in the theater. I, I was in a white neighborhood and I screamed it at the end oh, of the movie. Lord. I was like, "Reparations!" Oh hey, God! See, you know, it's, it's Casey. Please tell me you like just. We're not seeing that movie, today. Jesus. It's funny, but I, I like movies. I like movies that make me think, but I don't like movies that make me think I'm. St- and this one right. didn't make me think I was stupid at all. This one right. didn't oh. make me think. You know, right. it, it wasn't Glory. so obscure, weird movies that I'm like walking out like I'm an idiot. I don't know what the hell just happened right, right. there for the last two hours. You know, it wasn't like that at all. It made it, but it did make me think. It did make me question. And it wasn't laid out for me like a nice, you know, pretty 
present, you know, to open and unwrap and fold and all that. It was, it was, it, it made me think and I like that a lot. Right. But today's climate, right. Today's climate, people don't want to think they just want to be entertained. Exactly. Exactly. Some of us like thinking. This thinking thing is fun. Juliana, you're the, that that was Lori, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Jeffrey, and then Juliana. I'm glad you're here, Juliana. Lori, I'm glad you said that because this is a term that I learned from Juliana J. Bowden, ladies and gentlemen. You said, Lori, that the movie didn't insult your intelligence, basically, right? So I agree. And the reason why that's so important is a term that I actually learned from Juliana J. Bowden. The suspension of disbelief was not abused. Okay. Oh, yeah. Although this was a sci fi horror film and we know it's based upon fantasy, he never insulted your suspension of disbelief. And I, think I just want to thank Jerome for letting everybody know that I took a film class, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you learned it from, it, it fit right into this discussion. Hey, we, we, we got to give Scott a little bit of moment because he's kind of short on time. But uh, Jordan Peele, uh, good luck. We hope this one has some long legs. We have some losses we got to get to, y'all. Some big things are happening this weekend in entertainment. We may have just lost. Uh, we're waiting on confirmation on a, a famous actress, so I, I better not say the name right now just yet. But there are some confirmed losses that I want to get to. Uh, first of all, Jeff and Scott, you know uh, Michael Henderson, famous bass player. We just recently lost him. Uh, played famously with Miles Davis. Had a really major hit that Scott can tell us about. But Jeffrey Keller, before I go to Scott, um, the one and only time I was on your show, The Poultry Hour of Power, you interviewed me, man. You remember that? Yep. Who was the guest that followed after me? Uh, must have been Michael Henderson. It was Michael Henderson. Uh, Jeffrey Keller, can you uh, really quickly tell us about the, this this loss? Uh, you've had a chance to sit down with this incredible, talented uh, man. Uh, what can you tell us regarding your thoughts about the loss of bassist, singer-songwriter, Mr. Michael Henderson, Mr. Jeffrey Keller? Yeah, let me just, just say that, that Michael was a great interview, and he was, again, passionate about what he what he did. Um, he just he was just a nice guy. He he'd get there early. You talk. He'd, he'd stay, take pictures, you'd go to the show, you'd be in the green room talking to him. And, you know, he just loved music. And if you asked him, like I asked about wide receiver, he'd break down how he came up with, here, catch me, Joe, Joe Green, or, you know, there's just the different lyrics that he put in, in into the, the music, into the song. Um, he, was just, he was just a nice guy. And, you know, sometimes you, order, you interview people and you go, this person's a jerk. Mm-hmm. But but <laughs> Mike Mike was just he was just a nice guy and would give of his time and he loved performing and being on stage. Wow, thank you, man. Uh, a Scott Galloway, you wrote about him when he passed. Um, just got a confirmation from uh, Janine Coveney. We're going to talk about this in just a second. A Scott Galloway, before we do, can you give us a thought or two about uh, the late great Michael Henderson? Uh, Michael Henderson was an, an incredible and very eclectic musician, uh, a very rare breed in the sense that, you know, he came up in Detroit, he, he learned how to, you know, to, to play electric bass, and he played that bass starting off as a support musician for Motown artists. He got to play as a teenager on the road with folks like Marvin Gaye and the Spinners and all sorts of stuff. He was a support musician. He was so good. He played with Stevie Wonder, too, yep. that, um, you know, he got sucked into Miles Davis wanting him 
to be his bass player when Miles shifted from doing acoustic jazz to, you know, some really out there uh, fusion uh, music that was heavily Afrocentric, bandmates including M. Tume on percussion and yes. Gary Bartz and, you know, but also people like Chick Corea and, um, oh my goodness, Keith Jarrett. So, you know, wow. um, during that time period, I think he had, he had uh, Dave Holland on bass and then he switched to Michael Henderson because he just really wanted an, a soulful bottom but somebody that could also be very improv improvisational within that context. So this is, I mean, you know, he already had from his teenage years to his early twenties, a very impressive streak. And then, you know, the dude also was a songwriter. So he gets with mm. Connors who presents him first as a duet partner with Gene Carn to sing the song Valentine Love. And Woo! Like, oh my God, Michael, you're also a writer. So on my next album, I'm going to have Michael write, we both need each other, which he sang as a duet with Phyllis Hyman. And then he also wrote the title track of the album, You Are My Starship, which became a serious, uh, quiet, yes. bedrock ballad, you know, for the ages. It's a very sensual song, very sexy song. I don't have time to tell you the story he told me about writing that song. It's very much in the realm of our nope conversation is he was very much into the cosmos Man. out somewhere and, and, told, and told her that he could bring a star down, you know, uh, for, for her perusal and, and all this kind of stuff. He was a very eccentric cat, man. But, you know, wow. so he did that. And then he wrote a song called Be My Girl, uh, which was he had on his Medics? very first solo album, Solid. But he also, because, you know, from Detroit is, I heard somebody say dramatic, the dramatics were his boys from Detroit. So they wow. covered the song and the two versions chased each other up the charts. The dramatics did better because you got five different voices doing that song versus, you know, Michael, who could do all of those ranges from the baritone <laughs> to the falsetto. But the dramatics had to hit. But, 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 you know, at least I think Michael's went top 20 and theirs went top five or something like that so anyway i say all that to say that he was a bass player he was a songwriter he was a incredible singer and you just don't get that and was able to cross from being a support musician to a jazz musician to an r&b quiet storm star and then i you know i can't leave out because i know jeff I, I will let him take this part of it the wide receiver song which is a funk <laughs> classic spoof on yeah. the football world you know, so the brother was very, very um, multi-talented and eclectic, and I had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times, my favorite time being for the liner note essay of something called The Essential Selection, mm. and I, and that's when I had a good hour conversation with him, and um, yeah. just very, like, like Jeff said, very good brother, very, very kind, very detailed in his stories with me, a lot of fun, and uh, but also very deep. And, and into all the different things that he was about. And so respectful of all of those folks whose musical lives he touched. Oh my God. I really miss him. And uh, I think that hopefully people will know more about him. Unfortunately, now in his passing, that his story will be told more and people will know exactly the depth of what we lost when he passed away. Oh, monumental loss. I'm so glad you shared that Starship story since we were talking about Nope. Um, it just plays right in, man. You can't make this stuff up. Jeffrey Keller, weren't you a wide receiver? 
Man, I was a wide receiver <laughs> with the Washington State Cougars and Atlanta Falcons. And let me tell you, every party we ever threw, we, that would be the song right there. So to actually interview him and ask him about the song was was awesome. Um, wow. To be able to do that and, and, and hear what he had to say about it. So, Oh, yeah. my God. Rest in peace, Mr. Michael Henderson. Uh, breaking news Bro, it, by it was, the time. Yeah, go ahead, Juliana. I was going to say it, it was really an amazing time in funk. If you were like a young kid oh, yes. whose first whose first time hearing about Michael Henderson was wide receiver and we're here to geek you up. Um, mm-hmm. There was I had an idea that he was this guy that sang with Phyllis Hyman, but I just have to like shout out how we don't understand where people come from sometime until we discover until we dig and look at their mm-hmm. heroes, look at where they came from because wide receiver was the first time I even knew who Michael Henderson's name was and then geek you up. I thought I was doing something. And when I learned his history, I discovered more people that were uh, Motown players behind the scenes. And it actually encouraged me to read liner notes like the ones that the amazing Scott Galloway, right? Come on, come on. And, and, to, and, and to become a, a musician, I would have never real, if it wasn't for people like Scott, I would have never discovered who Michael really uh, was. So I just want to uh, shout out people who chronicle and um, let us know to dig deeper than the songs that we, the one or two songs we uh, like. Let me tell you something. If it weren't for Scott's page, um, I saw somebody comment on this, the post where Michael Henderson passed away and Scott was talking about the dramatics out of Detroit, one of my favorite singing groups. And I didn't know he produced on uh, drama five. That's my favorite dramatics album. And the song Treat Me Like a Man, um, Dramatics Theme, that's Michael Henderson. He produced that song. I'm like, what? I had yeah, I got, no to, I got to inter- interview him as well, Rome, when I was doing liner notes for a project a couple of years ago. It was a dramatics re-release of their album Joyride. And wow. he, he was really, really, you know, um, just personable and nice. And also his Can't We Fall In Love duet with Phyllis Hyman is also included on the nine CD box set of of, um, Phyllis Hyman that just came out with, um, I wrote liner notes about that too, that my personal experience of that song, Can't We Fall In Love Again and what it it meant to me. So I just wanted to add that. Oh my God, thank you. Well, three of y'all have been, you know, had firsthand you know, contact with this guy. That's incredible. I didn't know, ladies and gentlemen. So it just goes to show you the range of talent we have here. But oh my God, I can't believe the comments I'm seeing on this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess we can go ahead and announce it. Uh, By the time you hear this, this will be a bit of old news. Nichelle Nichols, uh, famous for playing the part of Uhura on Star Trek, has passed away. Um, so it is confirmed. It, it appears that it's confirmed. Uh, she was a co-star with, of course, the great William Shatner, Captain Kirk, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, the creator of the show was Gene Roddenberry, and he casted her in the role of Uhura. Casey Phillips-Brown, I see that you actually interviewed her. Uh, yes. I, had, I had no idea. Uh, Casey, uh, and I think Lori said, somebody said they dressed up like her for, you know, when, what is going I did, I did, way back. Going I did but it was in the 90s and I made my own little costume. I had my little, my I made my little red dress and I made it. And I went to a Halloween party in, in Hollywood and 
and I was rocking it and I was I had my little go-go boots and everything and See, you can't make this stuff up. We're talking about Jordan Peele. We're talking about the You Are My Starship and now Uhura passes away. It's like what is going on? So ladies on the panel, what what did yeah. uh, Michelle Nichols mean to y'all? Casey, talk to us about that. Well, yeah, I interviewed her actually right after my grandmother had passed and it was I almost burst into tears because mm. it was just it felt yeah. like I was talking to my grandmother and I felt like just how much she's done for just women in general as a young black girl watching her grow up on TV. And so it, that was one of I've, I've interviewed like, you know, Sidney Poitier, you know, Jodie Foster. I've interviewed, you know, people out there in this world. Uh -huh. But that one that really touched her and Ruby D were one of my two really, really favorites oh, wow. because just what they mean as a black woman, especially growing up. So to hear this news, oh, I'm so sad. I'm going to definitely watch this. Uh, oh, I'm going to definitely watch this interview over again just to, to hear sort of do remember making a comment. I said something like, Oh, something you, you know, back in the day and you kissed, you know, Captain Kirk. And she was like, he kissed me. And I was Come like, oh, yes. then I think I found out later that she wasn't right. happy about that, I think. But I was like, she did kind of like, girl, that wasn't my idea. Oh, wow. What a moment to meet her, Casey Phillips Brown. Yes, it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Janine and Juliana, you want to get a shot in for uh, Nichelle Nichols? Uh -huh. Go ahead, Janine. Thank you. I, you know, I was a, a young girl in the first run of Star Trek. You know, I wasn't watching it in reruns. I was watching it in real time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I loved the show because of the possibility of a Black woman running this spaceship in the future. And she was gorgeous and she was cultured and she was elegant and you know she was brown and i you know i wanted to see more of her so every time i tuned in i was always thrilled when she was more a part of the plot and when she you know she, when she wasn't i was always a little let mm -hmm. down but um it was really important to see a woman of color in that role. And I know it was hard for her to break uh, barriers on television. You know, we, we hail the pioneers that break through the door and open it for those who come after. But that journey for the first person is always fraught with peril and, you know, um, you know, lash back. What am I saying? Backlash. Backlash. Uh -huh. Yes. Uh -huh. So I really appreciate her. I know that at one point she really wanted to leave the show. And I believe it was um, Martin Luther King who persuaded her not to by um, impressing upon her how important it was that we see her on the show. So I really appreciate her for who she was. And um, yeah, Juliana, I know you have more to say about who she, who she was and how she represented Mm. Well, sure. I'm, you know, I, first of all, I just want to extend like a big virtual hug to all my sisters here on this review with you because Michelle made a way for us to dream in a way that we had never, ever dreamed before. And I love the, you know, you know, Casey talking about dressing up like her and Janine bringing up Martin Luther King, not wanting her to quit. So what I'm going to add to the conversation, um, a lot of you guys know I spent 10 years working with the Emmy Awards, the Television Academy, the, the Amer uh, Archive of American Television, which is now uh, simply called the Interviews at the Television Academy. So mm -hmm. let me tell you how 
awesome it was where I was one of the only black people there on the, the campus at headquarters and it wasn't like I was experiencing all kind of crazy racism every day or anything like that. But there were things that would happen that would touch me as a black person at work. And one of those things was when we, she was getting ready to be inducted into the archive of American television, she came to visit. So I got a chance to mm. meet her and to hug Michelle and to look in their eyes and say, thank you. Wow. And to, um, and, and to, and to help, uh, contribute to the questions and things that Karen Herman, who was running the archive at the time, was, you know, asking uh, Ms. Nichols and, and everything that Casey said about her, you know, that sharpness and wit and making sure that you knew that he, <laughs> it wasn't her idea and all of that. She had some of that left because as we all know, she, she was um, declining due to Alzheimer's and things like that over, over the years as so many of our, our, our elders do. And mm. to have her able to be lucid in a conversation that was recorded and revered, you know, by mainstream uh, channels is one thing. But for me to stand there as a little black girl growing up and say, thank you, Michelle. Wow. What happened? I, I, I don't have any other words for that. Well, that's otherworldly. That is totally otherworldly. We have one more tribute to get to. Oh, my God. This is this is amazing stuff. Uh, Scott, I know I have you way past your, your due date, but uh, if you got time for one more, I want to hear Jeffrey Kelly's take on. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just going to kick it. The only thing, the only thing I'll add about Michelle Nichols is don't forget that uh, 180 degrees, uh, a different from Star Trek, was her co-starring role with Isaac Hayes and Truck Turner. If y'all ain't seen that, I got the soundtrack. I got the soundtrack. And I'm gonna have to hug my dad today because you know he and I used to watch Star Trek in reruns, and it was one of his favorite favorite shows. And I'm gonna be seeing him after I have lunch, so I know I'm gonna have to give him a great big hug on this path. Oh, big shout out to Pops, man! Oh my God, uh, we got more, one more Jeffrey Keller, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I don't even know how to say this one. NBA legend, the king of the rings, the 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 master of the Ew. rings. Bill Russell. Bill Russell has made his transition at the tender young age of 88. He is Mr. NBA. If anyone was worthy of being the logo, uh, why not somebody who has the most rings of all time? Jeffrey Keller, um, when you saw the news that the great Celtic warrior, Mr. Bill Russell, had passed away, good brother, what were your thoughts? Well, Bill was always a great, nice guy. I mean, I did 10 years with the NBA uh, All-Star Game. Mm. And part of that is you, you hang out the legends, you hang out with all them. And Bill was always gracious. He's always a nice guy. Always had a smile on his face. Always had a, a, a good word to say. Always was ready to drop knowledge. Um, even though I was a Laker fan, I was like, nah, I still got to listen to Bill. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. He's really Celtic that I had actually – but he was just – I mean – I mean, I was a Wilt Chamberlain fan. Um, I don't think Wilt got his due. I think Wilt was the greatest NBA player of all time. Wow. Um, because they changed so many rules because of him. But Bill's iconic. I mean, you know, he's he was probably the most popular. Um, and I'm talking about among NBA players. Mm -hmm. He was probably the most popular player that the players wanted to meet and talk, sit down and talk to. 
Why is that? Um, because I was, he was a winner. He wasn't the tallest guy. Absolutely. He the highest. Yeah, exactly. How in the heck was he able to – he dominated those series against the Lakers. It would drive me nuts, man, because I'm a Laker. I'm purple and gold, bro. So yeah. how was he able to do that? He wasn't as big as Wilt Chamberlain. No, but people forget this in sports. A lot of time, it's it's timing, technique, knowing how to manipulate your movement to get the other person to do what you want them to do not what they want to do. Mm. Um, that's why you have like a great Jerry Rice, who's only a four, six, five. Uh, you got guys that run four, two forties that can't get open. Um, uh. it's, it's more than athleticism. It's having mm. the knowledge of the game and knowing how to play the game. And Bill was great at playing the game. Wow. Wow. Incredible. How many rings did he have? Like he had a ring on each finger, didn't he? Oh, dude, it, it, it's ridiculous. But, I mean, for Bill, he, he was a, the ultimate team player. Yes. That's what comes to mind with him. That's what comes to mind with him. And it set the tone for this whole Celtics and Laker. We in California, Virginia. I mean, uh, Janine, I know you're uh, you, I know California is still in your heart, but I, I'm assuming we're still purple and gold. I know Casey's got some allegiances in Northern California. Everybody's into the Warriors and the Kings. I will hate the Celtics to the day I die. I don't even watch well, the anymore. See, I don't I, even watch it. I know. I, I know. I wasn't Larry Bird. Music I was to my Magic ears. Johnson. I wasn't down with Larry Bird, but I was down with Magic Johnson. But he that was the the genesis of the Celtic Laker rivalry. And oh, my God, we got the last laugh twice now, if you count Golden State, because Kobe Bryant gave us one in 2010 against the Celtics and uh, Steph Curry and them just got him uh, with yeah. this most recent NBA championship. So yeah. Bill, Bill had 11 rings in 13 seasons. Good God almighty. That's never going to be topped, bro. No. That's never going to be top. Well, y'all, uh, this has been a monumental uh, discussion. I can't thank y'all enough for being here. I got you way past the time that I had planned. But ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, we were breaking down Jordan Peele's Nope. Definitely go out and see it. Juliana, you're going to love it. And we have to do some RIPs for um, the late, great Nichelle Nichols, Michael Henderson. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the late, great actress Mary Alice. We'll have to catch that another time. We just lost her this past week, a couple days Sparkles. ago. Sparkles. Sparkles. Yes. Sorry. I'll never forget she yeah. said, baby, he gonna drag you to the gutter. And I was like, why well, did her mom <laughs> oh beg her to, to leave him more? But I learned that, hey, I learned from that woman in that movie that you can only tell your kids, you can only tell them. They gonna do what they gonna do. He gonna drag you to the gutter. Listen. Lord. Tell, learn, learn, learn how to help raise your daughters. And she talked a little something about like what men to stay away from. If you ain't seen Sparkle and you are within the sound of our voices, I implore you go see Sparkle. Recipes, okay. Mary Alice. Yes. Okay. I'm embarrassed. Beach Street. And Beach Street. Gosh, wrong. Like, wrong. I may have she did not say Beach Street. She was in Beach Street. She Beach Street. She walked in and they were sleeping and had the music real loud. When she turned the music down, it. they woke up. <laughs> they were like, oh, they were used to the sound. Rome, you've seen Sparkles, right? Rome. Huh? Reparations. You've seen Sparkle, right? Reparations. Rome, you've seen Sparkle, right? <laughs> he has Come not on, seen Rome, Sparkle. Man. Rome. It what? feels so good. It's got to be a sin. Come on now, Irene Kerr, Philip Michael Thomas. I have the soundtrack. Did you see the movie? He didn't say, he did not oh, wrong. If he had driving up there to see you, we go watch Sparkle. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet. 
at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and you know we're here every monday evening from 5 30 p.m to 7 p.m pacific time and it repeats once again on friday evenings from 6 30 p.m to 8 p.m pacific time check back with us we shall return next week also want to thank our very very special guests for the evening Lori peacock jeffrey keller a scott galloway juliana j bowden casey phillips brown and our good sister janine coveney also want to send a very very special shout out to mr frank starks who is the iron man behind the board and we're out of here y'all take care <laughs>